Well, it's, it's, uh, it's really good to be with you today. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I love Rick dearly. And uh, uh, I tell you, what we do in my class, I teach. I've got 1,800 students this semester. I was telling them last night, I literally, in the last nine years, I've had somewhere between 16 and 18,000 students, I've taught. I have the large incoming freshman classes and that kind of thing and, and just love getting to do that. I get to work with 18, 19-year-olds all the time. You guys send them to us. And so I, I love that and I appreciate that a great deal. I got a text last night from a girl who is, uh, uh, we adopted her as part of our family about, uh, oh goodness, uh, about four or five years ago. And she's Canadian. Uh, we call her our foreign mission project. <laughs> she, she just, uh, she laughs about all that. But her father doesn't know Christ. Her mother don't know Christ. Um, or, and just some real family issues there. And, and, uh, but we love her. She texted me last night. She said, Dr. Wheeler, you, you, I know you love Krispy Kreme. You see, in my class, what we do when we mention the word, the word Krispy Kreme, everybody stops for a moment of homage. <laughs> just kind of look in the air and thank God for that. You know what I mean? Take the moment and breathe it in. You know? She texted me last night. She said, you've not been to Tim Hortons yet and had the sour cream donuts. I said, I will soon. <laughs> Ron has, uh, but Don has promised me that we will do that uh, absolutely as soon as we possibly can. So I look forward to that. But uh, guys, I, I've, I've told my, my, my students affectionately that uh, I don't know if you know about the hot sign of Krispy Kreme. But um, I said that's the only hot thing going to be in heaven <laughs> for sure. But it's good to be with you guys today. Um, if you have your Bible, open them up to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at this and uh, kind of walk through this passage today. I... Um, I appreciate being here at your, at your uh, conference. We're going to talk about how then can we live. That's what this whole morning is about. How do we take the gospel, we put feet and hands and feet and faith to this. In other words, how do we put on the flesh of Christ and we really walk through life and changing people's lives. All I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to open your, mar- open your mind, open your heart, and, and be receptive and ask yourself, God, can I do this? Can I be a part of this? Can God use me in doing this? So we're talking about impacting lives through the power of the towel. First of all, I want to ask you a question. You just tell me if it's true or false. For the most part, we Christians like to create our own subcultures where we, we are comfortable and separate, and as a church, we expect the lost to come to us on our own terms when we're ready for them. Is that true or false, yes or no? Absolutely, that's what we do. In fact, it's, I, I think it's interesting, we do it because we're comfortable. I told him this morning that, that we isolate ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We pull ourselves away from the world. In fact, one of the things we do is that we, we, we think this is normal. Our young people particularly do this. We, we, we put earplugs in our ears and we walk in the middle of a crowd of people and we think somehow that's not rude. Well, I'm here to tell you that's rude. Listen to me. Would Jesus ever, would he ever plug up his ears close his eyes and walk through Jerusalem, walk through the, the, where per- hurting people are and ignore their cries. Would he ever do that? No. But we do that every single day. Here's what I do in my class. I have a week in my class where we, uh, we, we do what we call unplugging. And it's transformational for our students because they learn all the things they're missing every day because of the habits that they've built. And we do the same thing, guys. We're going to talk about evading here in a few minutes, but we do the same thing. One of the first times we ever did this in my class, we had a girl named Christina. And Christina, she's from South America, 
And she was, every day she would go out, she worked for the school, and she would sit on the side of a hill. And she would uh, look, look over in the mountains and everything, and she'd plug her ears up, and she would eat her lunch, and she would just kind of forget about everything that's going on. So she'd go back in and go to work. Well, the first day that she unplugged, here's what she said. She said, I'm sitting there on that hill, and I all of a sudden notice, oh, there's construction workers down there. And so she, she begins to pray for them. And God lays on her heart, says, hey, Christina, why don't you do something for those construction workers? So she goes home that night, and she bakes cookies for them. And she puts them in a little plastic bag. And the next day, she walks down there, and she hands those to the construction workers. And she starts telling them why. They ask her why. And she says, well, because I didn't want you to be on our campus and not know that Jesus loves you. And we love you. We care for you. And she shared her testimony with them. And she walks back up the hill. She said two days later, she, was, she uh, continued to pray for them. She was out there again. She, she baked a cake and she put a slice of cake in a little bag. She carried it down there to him. And she talked to those guys again. She said as she was walking up the mountain, she turned around she noticed the guy was following her. She says, can I help you? The guy looks at her and says, Christina, I got to ask you a question. He said, why are you doing this? And she, he said, because listen, listen to me, Christina, you've been up there sitting six or eight weeks up there, okay? And she, he said, you know, we're construction workers. You're a pretty girl. We noticed you eight weeks ago, okay? He says, we want to know what changed this last week. And she told him the story of the challenge and everything that took place and, and how that she'd been praying for them and how that she wanted them to know Jesus and, and how that she knew that they were, they were as empty as she was before she came to know Christ. And she shared her testimony with him. And the guy looked at her and, and she simply said, would you like to know more? And the guy said, yes. And about 30 minutes later, this guy surrendered his life to Christ. I wonder how many people were walking by every single day in our community, in, in our Jerusalem where we live, we work, and we play, that we are ignoring. Because we think church is about creating our own subculture where we invite people. How about this? A few years ago, a friend of mine, he's from Charlotte, North Carolina. His name's Austin. Austin took over a church in the inner city of, North, of Charlotte there. And it was, used to be a really strong community. And now everybody that goes to this church um, have moved out to the suburbs further out. But there were all these small houses in this community. And so all these young families were moving in because they could afford them. And they were rebuilding those houses and fixing it up. So Austin becomes the pastor. And he wants to reach all those young families. And so, so he uh, starts asking those young families, what are things we can do to meet your needs? What can we do? And, 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 and here's what happened. The first six months that Austin was the pastor there, great church, he ought to write a book about this. Here's what happened. His church went from 200 people to 100 people. You know what he did? He changed his worship style around so that it would fit those young families. They started having these worship wars, that's what they call it. You know, when everybody wants to push their preferences over everything else. You know, I told in the early service this morning, my mom is 79 years old. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever known. I love her. My mom and my dad were my heroes growing up, okay? My mom, though, think about this. My mom loves southern gospel music. I'd rather you take a hammer and hit me in the head than make me listen to it, okay? And some of you go, I'm offended. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. Seriously, my mom will go for three-day uh, conferences and sit there and listen to that. I think it would be a great evangelism tool. I think if we went out to people and says, listen, you can go to heaven and be with Jesus, or you can spend eternity listening to Southern gospel music, you know. I think we'd have a revival in the world, you know. 
Because my idea of good music is like ZZ Top with words. You know, I, I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, mean, I mean, again, my mom and I, we have totally different tastes in this kind of thing. But here's the difference. That doesn't make me right, her wrong, or her wrong and me right. You see, that's preferences. Some of you like boiled asparagus. Come on, guys. Boiled asparagus, asparagus is pre-digested. Come on. You, you put it in there, like boiled okra. I mean, you put it, and it just kind of slides down. I mean, it, it, come on, there's no swallowing to it, all right? You, you, we, some of us like that stuff, you know? I mean, we do. I don't. That don't make you right and me wrong. That simply is a preference that we have, right? Come on. I mean, it, and, and that's, that's what we do. Sometimes we deify our preferences. We make them part of our theology, you know? You know, like our hymn books are somehow inerrant, inerrant infallible, no, the Word of God's inerrant and foul. Our hymn books, there's a lot of great hymns. I love them. There's nothing wrong with that. But the bottom line is, let's not fight over those kind of issues. But here's what happened that church. He told me, he said he'd been there, you know, about a year. And in the next six months, he went from 100 down to 50. He said when finally, when the one lady in his church who'd been there since Moses, okay, when she was walking out of the church, she made sure she let him know exactly how she felt. And this is what she said to him. She said, Pastor, your problem is you think the church is a, a movement of God to change the world. While we believe the church should be a, a community organization for Christians. Let me ask you a, a question here, guys. Which one is it? And it's not both. Is it the top one or the bottom one? It's the top one. You agree it's the top one, yes or no? Okay, then let me ask you a question here. Let me, let me just kind of give you this, all right? If you really believe that the church is a movement of God to change the world, I wrote a book a few years ago called, uh, uh, um, um, it, was, it was about a book on a six-week study on, on uh, learning to be a servant called Ministering to Others. And in it, we have some questions that we ask. And one of the things we ask is this. Imagine if you're a pastor. Imagine if Rick, you know, let's just say that he got, got up one morning and he's leaving his house at 6 o'clock because he has a church member, a prominent church member, who's going to have quadruple bypass. And quite frankly, they don't, they don't expect the church member, their heart is weak, they don't expect him to live through the surgery. But he gets a call right as he's walking out the door. And it's a guy down the road from him. He's been sharing the gospel with for the last 20 years or, or 15 years or ever how long he's been at the church. And he's been praying for him. And the guy calls him that morning at 6 o'clock. He says, Pastor Rick, I got my Bible out last night. I've been reading it all night long. I think there's something to this Jesus. Can you come to my house right now and tell me how I can have a relationship with Christ? Let me ask you something. Should Rick go to the hospital or go to his neighbor? Which one? Neighbor. If he does that, though, how long does he keep his job? That's, well, here's the deal. Here's the deal, guys, though. You know, I mean, if, if he's not there, and that's your family, that's your dad, your mom, your, your brother. You see, guys, we, we've, we've created the church to make it about us. And the purpose of, of, the, of the church, guys, is to glorify God. The mission of the church, once we are redeemed, is that we are supposed to join Christ on mission, every one of us, to fulfill the Great Commission at any cost. What was the first thing Jesus said? He said, when a man gives up his life, he will gain it. He must increase, we must do what? Decrease. We need to learn to die if we're going to learn to what? Live. It's in our weakness that he is. 
You see, guys, that's what it's about. It, this kind of attitude grows out of an idea that somehow it's about us, but it's not about us. You see, servant evangelism, we're going to talk about it, is me and you, us, intentionally stepping out of our comfort zones, our subcultures, in order to meet both the physical and spiritual needs of those around us through the power of the gospel. We talked about that last night, that gospel that has been entrusted to us, that transforms people's lives. So let's talk about the scripture. If you've got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 42 to 45. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it off the screen here, okay? Uh, if those of you who are a little older, this is bigger. For those of you who don't understand that yet, just hang around long enough. You'll get it, I promise you, all right? You'll get it. So let's read this. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not so be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your what? And whoever of you desires to be first shall be your slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The context of this passage is that James and John, for the second time, have come to Jesus and asked, Jesus, when you come into your glory, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Now, the first time, Mommy asked for him, at least this time they asked, okay? But it's still not a good thing. James and John, this is the first time Jesus shares what he's going to do, what's going to happen to him. He shares the whole point and purpose of why he's there. And James and John are so self-consumed, they're missing it. Because all they could hear from Jesus was what was best for them. We do that ourselves. You see, I mean, we, we think we meet needs so much sometimes in ourselves that we become such needy people and we think it's about us. Should we meet needs? Absolutely. But guys, it's not about us. James and John had been so self-consumed. And so, you know, I mean, think about that. Here's the problem, James and John. They had a spirit of entitlement. Jesus, we've been walking. We've been doing all this. We deserve to sit at your right hand and your left hand. Listen to me. Entitlement, it just reeks the church. My mom, uh, she, she uh, uh, my father died in 2002. My mom and dad had been married 49 years. My, my uh, um, mom and dad, I'm, I'm so proud of this. My mother and my father, later in their life, my dad was in his 60s, my mom was in her late 50s. As senior adults, basically, my mom and dad felt God calling them. My dad was a a businessman. And and rather than doing, I don't know what it's like here, but the senior adult ministries in America, so often you, you join the senior adult ministries. And rather than join the local senior adult ministry of a large church and then traveling across the United States and going to every buffet possible... Because that seems what they do all the time, you know. And going to Branson every other weekend or wherever it may be, you know. This kind of thing. My mom and dad joined a church planting team. It would help set up and tear down. My, my dad was part of the evangelism team. My mom was helping with the children. The, they vacationed Bible school and all the stuff that they did with all of that. And so when my, my dad passed, my mom went to the pastor and says, Listen, every time I come here, I see John. I can't get over it. I'm going to go find another place to serve. And the pastor was totally fine with that. My mom shows up at this large church in a community outside of Nashville, Tennessee, one Sunday morning, sitting about halfway down. She says she's sitting in that big auditorium, and she's just sitting there. For, you get the picture here. She's lonely. She's hurting. She misses my dad, 49 years of marriage. First time she'd ever really go to church without my dad. She's sitting there, and she's, she's, she's just thinking, just, just hurting. 
And, and my mom says the bell rings, the people let out a Bible study, and they start trickling into the auditorium. She looks over to the right, and there's this lady there. Mom says she's probably about 80 years old. And my mom does what my mom does. She stands up, she walks over to her, and she says, Hello, my name is Juanita Wheeler. My mom said this lady pulled her hand back. She said, Young lady, I want you to know that I've been a member of this church since the first day it started 45 years ago. And since the first day they built this auditorium and opened it up, I've sat right there in that seat. If you want to sit there, scoot over. None of y'all sit in the same seat every week, do you? Come on, guys. I'm telling you right now. I, I, I mean, you part in the same spot. I've had people tell me, well, my bottom just fits better here. Really? I, one Sunday, I decided to take my church and just, just get them out of their comfort zone. So I made them swap sides. You'd have thought I, I'd called World War III. This lady marches out the back door, and I follow her to the parking lot. She looks at me, her name was Sue, and she said, If I can't sit where I want, I'll just go home. Listen to me, guys. I've, I've, I've realized something over the years, okay? The biggest babies in the church oftentimes aren't found in the nursery. <laughs> it's the truth. I wanted to hand her a diaper and say, well, maybe, maybe your problem is you need to change your diaper. I mean, here's a bottle. Really? That's what we're going to do. I mean, but that's, that's what we do. That's where we are. We, we feel like we're entitled. So let's get to this passage here. You know, think about what this is. You know, Jesus tells them, he says, he says, first of all, I want you to be a servant. I want you to be a servant. He says, I don't want you to be like the Gentiles and lord it over them. I want you to be a servant. I want you to be a slave. The word servant is the word diaconate. We get the word deacon from or minister from. The word doulos is the word slave. It means to not eat, drink, do nothing unless the master wills it. This is what I want you to do. You see, when you would walk into someone's house in those days, Jesus gives us a beautiful example of this when he goes to the upper room. Here's what happens. When you'd walk into someone's house in those days, you would, you would put your foot out. The lowest slave in the house the one, they would never speak their names. A lot of Jews didn't even believe that slave had a soul. That was the lowest possible thing you could do. You'd walk into a house, you'd put your foot out. You would never look at that slave or speak to them or anything. And they would pull your so- socks off, I mean, pull your sandals off. And they would wash your feet for you. Let's think about this. When they came to the upper room that night, there wasn't a slave. So who washed feet, guys? Jesus did. He was giving us an example of who we are supposed to be. He picked up the towel and he washed feet. You ever read Philippians chapter 2? It says, you know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of what? No reputation. What do you think that was referring to? That was referring to when Jesus became nothing and washed feet. Guys, evangelism in our day often doesn't start from the head down It starts from the feet up. We've got to learn to pick up the towel. We've got to learn to wash feet. Look what Jesus did. He said, because I didn't come, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To ultimately do the greatest act of service of all. To give his life as a ransom. A ransom. What was the ransom? The ransom was our sin to pay for mine and your sin. Not because he sinned, but because we sinned. To become a ransom for us. A sacrifice for us. To take the, our sin to the grave. And he stayed there three days. Why? Because in that culture, you had to be there three days before they would declare you official 
officially dead. So he was officially dead. And three days later, he resurrected. Why? Because he never sinned. Because sin, death only occurs because of sin. And when you never sin, you, you will never die. And so what did Jesus do? He, he, he gave us the picture. He became the ransom for us. The ultimate act of service for us. So what's the point of this message? Like I told them in the early service, when I was in seminary, they said every good sermon should have at least one main point. Now, I will admit to you, I've preached a lot of sermons, probably didn't have a point. You probably heard some that didn't have a point, okay? This has got one, and here it is. He simply says, the church is called to serve God and to serve people, to serve others. It's the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body. That's what Matthew 22 is, to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. You see, the problem is we've, we, we've, we've flipped that. We've, we've oppressized it is what we've done, okay? What we've done is here. Is I heard a guy come to, to campus church last year. My, my daughter was at campus church, and she was so upset. She called me. She said, David, the guy tonight in campus church said, said, unless you learn to love yourself, you'll never learn to love God. And, and I, I, you know, she wanted to scream out and go, show me that in the Bible. Because it's not in the Bible. But that's what the world says. Learn to love yourself. No, no, no. Let me share this with you. Guys, you will never know who you are until you understand who he is and who he has created you to be. Because what we're supposed to do is love God with everything we've got and then love others. And then we will understand who we are and what we are made in because we're made in his image. Understand that. Listen to me, guys. Here's what we do. We spend so much time loving ourselves do we have very little time to love God and no time to love others? Because it's all about us. No, 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 it's not about that. So how do we do this? Well, first and foremost, we have to learn to see others through the eyes of Christ. What did Jesus do? You know, everywhere he went, he saw Zacchaeus. He saw the woman at the well and he spoke to her. You know, in the passage right after this, there's blind Bartimaeus. You know, Jesus is marching into town and Bartimaeus is back here yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And they're saying, shut up, Bartimaeus. He don't want to talk to you. You're not the kind of person he would want to waste his time on. But isn't it interesting, guys, that Bartimaeus was the only one that Jesus called out. I happen to believe that Bartimaeus is probably the least blind person in that whole crowd, even though he was blind. You see, in his culture, when he was born and they figured he was blind, what they would have done by the time he was two or three years old, the, the, the religious rulers would have come and they would have found the family and said to them, what kind of sin did you commit to cause this blight on your child? Listen, I have a child that has cerebral palsy. She was a 26-week baby, weighed a pound and 15 ounces. That little, that little girl, they said she would never walk, she would never talk, she would never speak, she would never function. That little girl graduated from high school with honors a few years ago, graduated from Liberty two years ago. That little girl spent two months this year in the Philippines. That little 4 foot 11, 95 pound little girl with a speech impediment spent two months in the Philippines working with families with handicapped children because that's exactly how they treat handicapped children and the culture in the Philippines. Bartimaeus was nothing to those people, but he was everything to Jesus. We have to learn to see others through the eyes of Christ, which raises the question, how do we respond to them when we see them? Well, there's three basic ways. Number one, we evade. We, we tend to evade lost people. We isolate ourselves from them. We, we, walk, we, don't, we don't even know we're there. We don't see them. Come on, guys, think about this. Think about this. I was, uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a church in, in Ohio, 
and I, 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 we took cookies, and we wrote a little note on it, stuck it to it, said, you know, uh, if you think these cookies are sweet, you ought to taste our fellowship at, at Jersey Baptist Church, okay? Now, we gave those out, we, we gave those out when people were leaving that day, and here's what I told them, I says, listen, we're going to give these to you to give to your neighbors, but if you eat them, I'm praying you get sick. Not deathly, just a little bit, just enough to remind you. I'm, I'm just kidding, but no, I actually did tell them that. But, and then I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, and if you lay these down when you get home and you don't give these to your neighbors, I'm praying that these cookies spout, sprout eyeballs and wings and they fly around the house and in your dreams and you can't sleep until you give this to your neighbor. <laughs> Two days later, John, the pastor, called me at work. He said, you won't believe us. He said one of the older members of the church Called him up that Tuesday, Tuesday morning and says, Pastor, you know that young, young guy that came this last week and preached at our church and gave us those cookies? I want you to know he had no right to ask me to do that. I'm too old to walk down the street and you know that, you know that. It's all I can do to get to church. I can't believe he asked me to do that. He said, she said, but every time I walked by those cookies, it was like they were looking at me. <laughs> Prayer works, guys, I'm telling you right now. You know what she did? She took those cookies and she walked out her front door and she looked down the street and there was one car in a driveway down the street from her and she walked about 50 yards down the street. Now get this picture. She lived there 10 years and never got to know that neighbor 50 yards down the street. She walks up to the door, knocks on the door. A lady comes to the door. She had never met, though she lived there 10 years. Now get this. The lady's about her age. She comes to the door. She hands him the cookies. She says, listen, our pastor told us we're supposed to give you these cookies. I hope you enjoy them. I'll see you later. She wanted to get back home as quick as she could. I'm sure to watch some show on TV or whatever because obviously she couldn't walk 50 yards down the street, right? So here's what happened. The lady looks at her as she's walking away and she says, ma'am, ma'am, you go to Jersey Baptist Church? Yes. Ma'am, do you have a few minutes? I got some coffee. I need someone to talk to. Couldn't find out this lady's husband had died a month before this. This lady's husband had died several years before. She could have been ministering to her the whole time. She spent two hours with her. She could identify with her. It took a 30-cent package of cookies to get her down the road. We evade lost people. We act like they're not there. We, we, we're so busy doing everything else. I had a student come up to me this semester. We're kind of like him. I had a student come up to me this semester. Rick, I didn't share this in early service. He came up to me and says, Dr. Whaler, he says, I'm going to have to drop your class. I said, why is that? He says, well, I just don't have time to do the work for it. I said, well, let me ask you a question, son. He's, you know, 18, 19 years old. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, how many hours a week do you spend on social networks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that I said, and be honest with me. He said, probably 15. I said, let me suggest you get off the social networks and do your work for my class. A lot of us, you see what we're saying when we say we don't have time? It's not that we don't have time. It's that we don't want to make time to do what's there. Come on, it's truth. We will make time to do, to be with what people we need, we want to do, to do what we want to do. I pro won't we? Come on, guys. We will do that. You make me a coconut cream pie, I will make time to come eat it, all right? It's the truth, man. If my daughter, daughters ever get married, and would you write them a note, send them something, I'll give you their email address, and tell them to please get married soon. I want grandchildren. But if my daughters ever have grandchildren, and anything's going on in their life, I can promise you everything else goes off the calendar that day to be with my grandchildren. When my wife calls me, even if it's in the middle of the class, we have a rule. She knows my schedule. If she calls me, I stop class and talk to my wife. I make time 
no matter what, for those that matter. And if you care, you'll do the same thing. So let me share this with you. Evade. Here's what we do when we evade. We do this in churches all the time. Uh, how many of y'all have ever played like church league softball, anything like that? Any of y'all? Or church league hockey or something like that, basketball, something, you know. Well, here's the deal. You know, I asked Rick this before, and he said he loved to play hockey and hockey, hockey and, excuse me, softball and hockey. I'm not an, a Canadian, so I don't say that word a whole lot, okay? But softball and hockey. But anyway, I did wear my Dallas Stars shirt down last night and had people stare at me like I was some kind of communist or something like that. Yeah, I guess I am. But anyway, I've had that shirt for years and years and years. I lived in Dallas for a long time. You've got to understand that. But anyway, I, I was, here's what happened. Uh, if you like to play softball, things like that, here's what we've done in churches. I was in my last church. I had some of my people walk up to me one day and said, Pastor, why don't we start a softball team? Why don't we start a softball team? I said, that's a great idea. And they said, Pastor, this is Texas now. Pastor, we can play in the church league down the road from here. I said, guys, we're not going to play in the church league. Any of y'all ever played in the church league anything? Here's the deal. I'd rather play with lost people any day who act like lost people than a bunch of Christians acting like lost people. You know what I'm talking about? It's the truth. I said, guys, we're not going to play in the church league. We're going to play in the beer league, the open league. And this is what they did. They went, oh, he said beer. <laughs> Listen, if Jesus were here, he'd be playing in the beer league because that's where lost people are. Come on, think about it. How many of y'all like to fish? Any of y'all like to fish? How many of y'all like to catch fish? If you haven't noticed already, I'm ADD. If you haven't noticed, then you, I'm, I'm going to tell, tell you, I'm ADD, okay? Here's the deal. If I go fishing for more than 15 minutes and I don't catch a fish, I'll dive in the water, get a rock, a stick, or something, take it home with me, okay? I, you know, here's the deal. I like to catch fish. Don't you? I like to catch fish. Years ago, my father, he's an old country boy from East Tennessee, my dad, my dad uh, told me the secret to catching fish. Now, if you want to write this down, this is deep theological stuff. This is what he said. He said, son, if you want to catch fish, now get this, you always fish in stocked ponds. You're going, well, duh. Yes, here's what we do in churches, though. We build our own ponds. We put certain kinds of fish in we can't catch, and then we get mad when we can't catch them. That's what we do. Here's what I say. Let me, let me give you a secret here. If you want to catch fish, you've got to go to where fish are. On my grandfather's pond, farm, there were three ponds. The best one to catch fish was in the back in the woods. It took you, it, it was a mile back there. You'd walk through manure and mud that thick. You went over two barbed wire fences. If you didn't get bit by a snake and die before you got there, you'd take a stick and pull that moss apart. If you dropped your bait and hook in there, you'd catch a fish a hundred out of a hundred times. Because if you want to catch fish, you've got to go to where fish are. So here's what we did. First, first night we showed up to play, I'm writing out the lineup. One of the guys walks up to me and says, hey, pastor, look at that team over there. We're going to play tonight. Ain't they big? <laughs> if you play in the beer league, they're big people, okay, I promise you. They had these silver and white and black jerseys. It looked like the Oakland Raiders. They were, they were big. Anyway, I was writing out the lineup, and the guy looks at me, and he says, pastor, I know those guys over there. They drink beer and cuss and act terrible. This is no place for me to bring my family. I said, wait a minute. Do you let your family watch TV? <laughs> he said, yeah. And I said, well, this is like a reality show. <laughs> Guess what the name of the team was who played the first night, guys? The Nasty Boys, right? I want you to know we beat the Nasty Boys. We beat everybody. We won the whole league. At the end of the year, there were three families off the Nasty Boys that joined our church, and we baptized members of their families, okay? Because if you want to reach people, you go where people 
are. You don't pervade. You don't yell and beat them down. You invade. That's when we put on the flesh of Christ and we become his hands, his feet, his mouthpieces. What would happen if you were to go to your neighbors and start taking the gospel to them? My wife has been on and off chemo for the last 25 years. Listen to me. Guys, my, she, well, I almost didn't come to come here Friday because my wife uh, uh, relapsed her disease. She has Wegener's disease. Not ca- cancer, but Wegener's. It's autoimmune disease. And she relapsed it. She had such a bad reaction to her medication Friday. She almost had to go to the hospital. almost had to call Rick and say, I can't come. Debbie had double pneumonia after having surgery back in June. Her oxygen levels dropped so lo- low she almost went into cardiac arrest. We almost lost her in June. Listen to me. In the middle of all of that over these years... My wife has ministered to our neighbors. She keeps our neighbors' kids. She, she feeds them. She takes care of them. She picks up their kids for school. Do you know what? Our neighbors, in the last year and a half, I've baptized three of our neighbors because my wife has been ministering to them even when she's been sick. We lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. My wife had her first hip replacement because the medication destroys her joints. It gives her avascular necrosis. And she lost her. She had to have her first hip replacement. Right after she got off her crutches, she said to me, David, I know that God has something for me in this community. We began to pray. She started watching the kids get off the bus every day. They went to empty homes. Debbie has a science degree. She went to the, to the uh, uh, library, researched out a half a dozen science projects because she knew every one of those kids had to do a science project just like our kids did. She went to those parents and she said, listen, if you'll let your kid come to our house when they get off the bus every day, I will feed them, I will take care of them, and I promise you this, it won't cost you a penny. Listen, we, our house, we had glitter from wall to wall in our house for six weeks. At the end of that six weeks, we baptized a father and his two, two sons right next door to us and a mother and her daughter right across from us because one very ill lady didn't, didn't give an excuse, didn't say, I'm too old, too young, I'm too sick, I'm too this, I'm too that. She said, no, God, what can you, you do through me if, I'm let, if I'll let you do that through me? Listen, the only reason why we don't serve is because we don't want to serve. We can serve. And there's the opportunity there for us to do it every single day. If you want to catch fish, you go where fish are. We have to invade the world. For instance, do you realize in the U.S., the hardest time to find people to work in restaurants is on Sunday afternoon? Do you know why? Any of y'all ever been a waiter or waitress here? Any of y'all? I can tell you why. It's because, here's the deal. I talked to a restaurant owner, and I've talked to hundreds of, of, of waiters and waitresses I've had in class, and this is what they tell me. They said they don't want to work on Sunday afternoon because Christian people are cheaper, meaner, and ruder than anybody else and more demanding than anybody else they face all week. I had a man who owned a, 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 a several restaurants in the Roanoke area there in Virginia. He told me he got all of his workers together and asked them why they didn't want to work on Sunday. Here's what they said. They said, we would rather work on Friday night and take care of the happy crowd, I mean the, the happy hour crowd with the people that are drunk, than to work on Sunday, at least the happy hour people, they tip. They may not know what they're giving, but they tip, okay? Listen to me. Here's what we do when we go to restaurants. What is your name? Jason, if he's my waiter, I'll simply say, Jason, it's nice to meet you, Jason. I'll introduce you to everybody at the table. And I'll say, Jason, listen, brother, I want you to know something. First of all, I want to be a blessing to you. I know you put up with a lot of grief. So first off, you can count on it. We're going to give you a really good tip. We give a 25 to 50% tip or more every time we go to a restaurant. You know what? It don't matter if he spills the food on me. It don't matter if, he, he, uh, 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 if the food is cold, if he messes up my, my, my order. I've told my wife, in fact, that if I die of food poisoning in that restaurant before they cart my body out, make sure he gets his 25% tip. You know why? Because Jason is more important. His soul is more important and more valuable than that meal. Here's what we do. Guys, I, I, I'll simply ask him after that. I'll say, Jason... Would you allow us the privilege then 
to pray for you as we pray for our meal. What's something we can pray for? We always ask them to stay there with us. I've had, had a lady a while back ask me to pray for her mother. She attempted suicide the night before. Had another lady whose mother passed away the week before. I had one lady one night who was going through a custody battle. Had a young man at a restaurant that, that was going through a divorce one night and just wept at the table. And we laid our hands on him and prayed for him. I was in Atlanta several, a few years ago and doing a conference just like this. Had a young lady, an 18-year-old a, a African-American girl walk up to the table. Her name was Alicia. We asked her if we could pray for her. And this is what she said. She said, she said uh, you know what? It's funny you should ask. She said, my mother, my grandmother told me that, it, that right before I came, they said, you know, Alicia, your life is a mess. What you need to do is get saved. She said, I've been thinking about that the last two hours. She said, I don't know what saved means. She said, I guess you could just pray that somebody could tell me how to be saved. I'm not kidding. That's exactly what happened. You know what happened? The pastor got so excited, he prayed for her. Alicia walked off. I looked at him. I looked at Alicia. I said, Alicia, come back here. I shared the gospel with her. I said, Alicia, is that what you're looking for? She said, absolutely. I feel so empty inside. I need Jesus. I said, well, Alicia, you can get with the pastor this week. She said, no, no, no. I need Jesus now. She got down on her knees in the middle of that restaurant, laid her head against the side of the table, and surrendered her life to Christ. Guys, God can use you. What about the person who cuts your hair? The, the person who checks you out at the grocery store that you get to see every week? What about this? What about adopting 10 people on this side in your neighborhood and 10 people on this side and, and begin to, to, to prayer walk your community and start praying for those families and looking for opportunities to be able to engage with them, to cook for them, feed them, take care of them? How about that? How about seeing the mission field that's right around you and becoming the hands, the feet, the mouthpieces of Christ because that's what this is all about. You know, think about it. Think about it with me. How about this? Number two, we need to serve others through the life and the love of Christ. What this means is this. What kind of message are we sending? Are we telling people that we have expectations for you? Or are we telling them that we love you? Come on. Here's what we do in church. We get mad at lost people for acting lost. We'll go, look at how they're dressed. Can you believe it? Can you believe what they say? Can you believe the language they... Uh, lost people act lost because they're what? How about this? You ever had someone say to you, I'll come back to church when I get my life Right? How about that? You know why? Because we've told them that, 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 that um, you know, basically you have to act like a Christian before you can become a Christian. None of that makes sense. There shouldn't be any expectations. It's all about loving people and caring for them and showing them Christ. Listen, God doesn't get mad at lost people for acting lost. He gets mad at Christians for acting lost. Guys, we're supposed to love them and care for them. It all starts from the inside out, not the outside in. You see, we look at the outside. God looks at the inside. I call it the microwave principle. I learned this in 1984, Fort Worth, Texas, going to seminary. Debbie and I bought our very first microwave oven. I was the first guy in my family to have a microwave. I'm from Tennessee, guys. That was a big deal, okay? It was amazing. We, I'd never used one before. I brought it home, put it out, took it out of the box. I'm ADD, like I said. I started pushing buttons, you know, with that thing. Started playing with it. Debbie went to the store to buy some food. I scarfed through the kitchen. And all we had was a half a dozen eggs in the, in the refrigerator. I took out two eggs, rolled them in the microwave, cranked that dude up on high. A few minutes later, <laughs> it blew the door wide open. I had some students last year do this in their dorm and film it and show it to me. I said, you will get me fired. Don't do that. But I'm telling you, it's a, it's a, I went to my Sunday school class the next day and told them, and they laughed. I thought my microwave was broken, you know what I mean? And they, no, they said, no, don't you know the principle of the microwave? I said, what's that? It said it cooks from the inside out, not the outside in. I thought it's a great spiritual principle. That egg cooked, it swelled, the shell couldn't take it, so boom, it exploded, right? Where do the rivers of life come from? They don't come from deep within us. We need to see people from the, out, from the inside out, the beauty that God has placed in them. We need to touch them and love them. It's not about expectations. It's about love, guys. It's about caring for them. And finally, we need to speak the message of Christ. 
C.M. Bovey once said, kindness is a language which the mute can speak and the deaf can understand. We need to serve them. We need to see them first. We need to acknowledge that they're there. We don't need to evade them. We need to invade them. We need to see them. We need to serve them. And then we need to speak the message of Christ to them. Finally, we'll close with this. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be the interim pastor of a church in Columbus, Ohio. I was asked one night, I was called one Wednesday night and said, David, would you go visit this family? One of the church members had been ministering to him. He helped them paint their, uh, their, their, their nursery. When I got, I, I got to the hospital that night, I met Doug and Leslie that Wednesday night. I'd never met them before. Doug and Leslie, I found out, had been married for eight years. They had three miscarriages. Finally, Leslie carried little baby Aiden full term. Beautiful little baby boy. That night, I got to meet the whole family. I didn't get to meet, you know, uh, little baby Aiden. And I was, I was uh, so I prayed with the family, spent some time to get to know them. I went, uh, the next day, I, I told them, I said, guys, uh, I'd love to come back and see you tomorrow. Maybe I can see Aiden then. They said, we'll let you know, David. So the next day, about 1230, I get a phone call. It's, uh, uh, it's Doug. He said, David, can you meet us at Children's Hospital there in Columbus, Ohio? So I, I uh, drive over to Children's Hospital. I get there about a little bit after 1 o'clock. Five minutes before I got there, the do- doctor had just left. He had just informed the family that little baby Aiden, after three miscarriages, after nine months, that that little baby had a congenital brain defect that would never live off the respirator. That little baby would never go to his nursery at home. That baby would never go home. They were devastated. We cried together for probably an hour. I had a bad, bad fever. I had a bad sinus infection. I didn't feel good. My voice was shot. They said, David, why don't you go home and get some rest tonight? We'll call you tomorrow when we take care of all this. I went home that night, took a shower about 8 o'clock, went to bed about 8.30. 8.45, the phone rings. Debbie walks in the room and says, David, it's Doug. I get on the phone. He says, can you come to the hospital tonight? Now listen, I'm going to tell you what. I thought the same thing that most of you think when it comes to witnessing. That all of us have done this together. All of us have done this. I mean, here's what I thought. I thought, well, this is not going to be fun. This is not going to be easy. What if they ask me questions I can't answer? You know, well, you know what I mean? You know, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, I don't really know how to handle this situation. I mean, what do I do? I mean, plus, I'm sick and I don't feel good and, and all these things. You told me to go home and get some rest. I mean, I've already taken a bunch of sinus meds. I can't do it. I thought all these excuses in my mind, but I didn't say those. Here's what I said with my mouth. I said, Doug, I'll be there in a few minutes. I got in my car and I drove there. When I walked in, they had little Aiden in the middle of the room, 20 people around him, and they were all just, just uh, standing there, and, and they were, uh, they were sw- swapping out family members and friends. They were holding on to Aiden one time as long as they wanted, and they took pictures. They sat in that rocking chair. This went on for hours and hours. About 1.30 in the morning, Doug walks over to me and says, David, would you like to hold on to Aiden too? i got to tell you, it's the greatest privilege I've ever had in ministry next to baptizing my two daughters. Leading my wife to Christ when we were dating, when we were 17. Here's what, you know, and I walked over and held on that little baby. They took a picture. They gave me permission to use the picture. Right after this picture, I put the little baby back in the crib and gathered the family around, prayed for them. When I turned around, all that was left in that room was me, mom, and dad. I turned around, mom and dad were over there holding on to each other, rubbing little Aiden in one of the saddest pictures I've ever seen. The doctor walks in. I've never seen this. He broke down and started crying. The nurse was crying. I was crying. So we stopped and we just started praying. And God just calmed our spirits. As soon as I got through praying, Doug and Leslie sat down in the chair. The doctor flipped off the switch, pulled that tube out of Aiden's throat, wrapped him up in that little blanket, put in the arms of mom and dad, 
And a short time later, his brain was not telling his heart to beat. He was gone. And then they held on to him for probably an hour after that. Two days later, I preached Aiden's funeral. I got to share the gospel with the whole family. About five weeks after this picture, I got to baptize Aiden's father. Listen to me. Had I not been there that night, had I done what my mind was telling me to do, which was, you know, it's, too e- it's not convenient, it's not easy. What am I going to say? All these kind of, what if I had stayed home? And what if I had never ministered? Would Doug have come to Christ? Who knows? All I know is this. That guys, we, we've got to stop giving these excuses because you've got family members and friends who are up to here in the mud of the sin of this world. And here's what we want to do. We want to buy them a shovel and toss it down and say, dig yourself out. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches dig in that, dive, dive in that mud hole and dig them out yourself. Maybe you'll get some mud on you, but it don't matter. Get them out of there. People are hurting. You don't have to look far to find them, do you? You know people that don't know Christ. They're in your family. They're in your neighborhood. They work with you. There's some of them that are in your home. We've got to reach them with the gospel. We can't say no. There's no excuses. Listen. Here's the deal, next to the Word of God, next to the Holy Spirit, next to the gospel message itself, the greatest tool I believe in many cases to reach people, to start the conversation, is the towel. Here's my question. Who's going to come pick it up and take it back to your family, back to your neighbors, back to your friends at school? Who's going to pick it up? Who's going to pick it up? Come on. It's time that the church begins collectively to say we're on mission with you, Christ, no matter the cost. We will pick up the towel. We will take the gospel back. We will love those people around us. We will no longer walk by them. We will care for them. That's what this whole week is about. That's what this mission conference is about. What are we going to do? How are we going to reach them if we don't go? Who's going to pick it up? Listen, this morning, I'm going to ask Rick to come stand up here. If you've never received Christ as your personal Savior this morning, God's calling you out. You have questions. You want to know how you can come to know Christ. You come find Rick. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask us from the balcony all across this church to come gather around together and to symbolically say that we want to take this towel back to our communities. You may want to come kneel and pray together and, and, name, and name the people you want to take the towel back to. Lay your community, lay your family down, lay your workplace down and say, God, I want to take this towel back to them. This morning I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. We're going to stand here in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to step out and come and say, God, use me. I can take this towel. I can do it. Use me. I'm not too old. I'm not too young. I'm not too unhealthy. I don't need to know any more than I already know. Jesus said, go tell them what I've done for you. It's time we pick up the towel. We start washing feet. Because we're not too good. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now, Father, you lead this invitation that you'll draw us out. You call us this morning to pick up this towel, take it back to our communities, God. I pray this mission's week, you will speak to us like never before. May your Holy Spirit fall down upon us, God, and touch us and anoint us and empower us and change us and mold us and make us what you want to be. Father, help us not to live or breathe or do anything, Father, without a burden for the souls that are around us. God, help us to see the people that are around us, God, as you see them and love them as you love them, care for them as you care for them. God, help us to pick up this towel and take it back. God, help us, Lord, to take the gospel 
gospel that has saved us. Lord, help us to speak that gospel. Serve, take that back, see people around us. Oh God, help us, Father, not to be like the Gentiles, Lord, but to serve and to love and to become slaves of yours. Oh Lord, today, speak to our hearts, light a flame in us for the gospel of Jesus Christ to take this towel back, whatever it takes, God, that the gospel may be spread and people may know you. In your name we pray. Let's stand right now. You come. Come on, church. Step out and come. From the balcony down, you come right now. Come on. Come on, church. Let's come. Let's gather around this towel. Lord, we want to take the towel back to our community. Pass it around that everybody can touch it. Come on. We want to take this around to our community. We want to reach our people at school, our neighbors, our family members, our friends. We want to reach the people around us. Right now, you come. Come on. Gather together right there where you are. If you're not coming, just bow your head and pray specifically for the names of those people that God's laying on your heart, your neighborhood, your family members. Come on, guys. It's time we join Him on mission to fulfill the Great Commission at any cost. Right now, you come. Let's sing. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move, I will follow you. All your ways are good, all your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone, higher than my side. Trust in you alone, you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. If you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If it's love, I'll I will follow you. share with you just real quickly and I want to pray for us. We sent a group of our students to Baltimore just a few weeks ago. One of my students said he was out in the streets. They were, they were taking a bed to a family who didn't have a bed. Very poor area. This guy was angry at God. He admitted he had not been to church since the early 60s. He, his, his mother had died and he got bitter against God. And the student of mine stopped in the middle of the street and began to share the gospel with him. The student's about 30 years old. He said, Dr. Wee, I didn't know what it meant to weep over souls until I, I started to share the gospel. I could feel the Holy Spirit moving in him. He said, I started loving him so much. He said, I literally was overcome with emotion. I began to weep because I so desperately wanted him to come to Christ. And then I knew what you were talking about, about putting on the flesh of Christ and loving people. When's the last time you wept over a neighbor? When's the last time we wept over someone who didn't know Christ? Guys, it's about the towel. It's about the gospel most of all. That's the center of everything we do. It's about us. Listen, if you say I can't do this, it's not I can't. It's either I will or I won't. Because you can. I promise you, you can. If that little girl Kara, my daughter, can do it, I promise you, you can do it. If Debbie can do it and all that she's been through over these years, have both of her hips replaced, one of them twice, have one of her shoulders replaced, she's almost died several times, 
Kara had seizures for years so bad she would stop breathing. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you can do this. It's either I will or I won't. We've got to take the towel back. We've got to pick it up. We've got to go. We've got to do it. Listen, I pray you'll be back here tonight. If you got something where more important to be, you let us know and we'll go with you, okay? How about that? you be back here tonight, please. Tomorrow night, come back here. We need to hear about what's happening. We need to help with this thing with Ebola. And tomorrow night, I'm going to speak to families, particularly tomorrow night. The, 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 the message God's laid on my heart is to families tomorrow night because we've got so many broken families and we need to be on mission together as families. If you know someone's hurting, you bring them tomorrow night. Come on, please be here. Be here this week. Make that commitment tomorrow night, Tuesday night, tonight. Let God take this church. You have such an amazing opportunity. I love your pastor deeply. I know he loves you and he wants to see God just explode and do it. And it can happen. But we've got to be willing to pick up the towel, take the gospel, be his people, and let him use us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your church right now. God, I pray you'll touch us. Lord, I pray you'll give us a burden to weep and to hurt, to pick up the towel, to speak the gospel, Father, to be the gospel back in our communities, to live it out, that people may know that you are alive. You can change lives. People, God, there's so many people hurting right around us, Lord. Help us not to put a blind eye to that, but to empathize with them, to feel that, to touch them, to love them, to care for them. God, wherever we go to eat today, wherever we go to shop today, wherever we go to get our hair cut this week, whatever it may be, God, help us to be on mission with you. Help us to take you to the masses, to people around us, Lord. Touch our hearts. May, may we never be the same after this missions conference this week. Let your Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out, God. Break our hearts what breaks your heart. And use us, God, for your glory. And all God's people said what? Amen. Listen, here's your challenge. Go, go, go hug about 20 people right now before you leave. And let them know how much you love them. And we're going to be looking for you back tonight. Amen. Amen. Go find them right now. God bless you and have a great day. All right. Go find them. Come on. Start hugging. Commence hugging. All right. Good.